Hi, this is Paul Lawrence, and this is the Daily Reflection Podcast. Welcome all. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. So I am in the studio today with Paul Lawrence from Flemington, New Jersey. It is June 11th. I'm very excited to have him. He's been referred to us by our friend of the show, Cece. And today we're talking about the daily reflection, which is family obligations. Welcome to you, Paul. Glad you're here. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be here. Excellent. So we usually get started by reading the daily reflection. Are you, do you have the daily reflection there? You want to get yes, it off? Excellent. Okay. Family obligations. A spiritual life, which does not include family obligations, may not be so perfect after all. I am doing great in the program, applying it in meetings, at work, and in service activities, and find that things have gone to pieces at home. I expect my loved ones to understand but they cannot. I expect them to see my value, my progress, but they don't unless I show them. Do I neglect their needs and desire for my attention and concern? When I'm around them, am I irritable or boring? Are my amends a mumbled sorry or do they take the form of patience and tolerance? Do I preach to them, trying to reform or fix them? Have I really cleaned house with them? The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Thank you so much for reading, Paul. And before we get started, what is your sobriety date? Uh, March 6th, 1996. Wow. As you read this, what comes to mind for you right off the bat? Well, there's several things that come to mind. You know, uh, have I ever really cleaned house with them? I don't have any kids, but my wife and I have been married for almost 50 years. The woman is a saint, you know, really, because she's put up with me for, now I can say we, um, we have, we've been married, half a, over half of our marriage has been in sobriety. So things are a lot better than they used to be. But the thing about cleaning house, I was a little uh, skeptical, scared of giving an, an amends to my wife because I did so many horrible things. So being the brave person I am, I wrote a letter and it was a lengthy letter uh, apology and all this other stuff, you know, the amends that you make. And uh, being the brave person I am, as I said, I, uh, I left it on the kitchen table and I went out. So when she got up, she saw the letter and she read the letter and we had a great conversation and it really changed the entire uh, relationship that we have had. So I didn't need to write, I needed to write the letter, but not the best way to do it, I guess. I guess you should just do it in person first, but it turned out to be in person anyway, and it was a real thorough cleansing. So that, that really helped a lot. The other thing that hits me is this thing about, are you patient and tolerant? I pompously say, yes, I am. I do. I was a teacher for years. You learn to be patient, you know? 
And I try to apply that with everybody. I, I think that, you know, everybody has their own path. Every, I mean, everybody has their own way of interpreting the program. Everybody has their own way of taking time to do the steps or doing steps right away or whatever. And I have learned that patience counts, that if they don't come right away, if a newcomer doesn't happen to do this right away, that's okay. You know what? Someday they're going to get the message and they're going to find AA and they're going to enjoy sobriety. Mm, I like that. Uh, and it's interesting because of the story that you first told about uh, writing your, I guess it was your amends letter to your wife yes. and that you did it a different way than maybe might've been suggested, but it worked out well. So it just goes to show that, you know, we don't always have to do this a certain way as long as we show up and do the best we can. Maybe it might be helpful to hear a little bit about what got you into AA. Well, you know, I, uh, I didn't start, I was never going to drink. I grew up in an alcoholic household and I was not going to drink. It was just chaotic and abusive. It was an unusual story here. And I never drank in high school. But when I got to college, it was my downfall. It was, you know, a new place. I, it was just a peer thing, you know. And I thought, well, one drink hurt. And, well, one drink did hurt. Now, I drank like an alcoholic, blacked out the first time I ever touched it. It was just a disaster. And it just got worse and worse and worse as years went on. After many times, I realized that I, I was an alcoholic. I just can't control it. I just, one drink, I don't even understand the concept. So I would try to stop because I knew it was out of control. And I would try all these self-help books and I drank through every single one of them. Nothing worked. And in complete desperation at the end, I said to myself, I can't do this. I just can't do this anymore. That's when I said, well, you know, I've tried everything else. Why not go to AA? And unfortunately, it took me 32 years of drinking to get in here. It was 50, I was 52 when I got in. And uh, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Wow. We shared a little bit about this before we hit the record button, but I too came in a little later in life. In some ways, wish I had had done it a lot sooner, but in other ways, it's a a blessing that I started so late because like we said, uh, we've pretty much exhausted all the options out there. So it's either do this thing or, or die, I guess. So did you try to quit drinking before you officially made it into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I tried. The stories you hear, you know, I, I would change what I drank. In fact, uh, this is a classic story. In order to find myself when I was 27 years old, I got on a Schwinn 10-speed bike. And I, I, I bicycled from New Jersey to Miss, the Mississippi River, up the Mississippi River, across Canada, and back down to New Jersey. And the reason I did that was to find myself and get myself clean. I figured if I'm on the bike, I'm, I'll be okay. It was a disaster because I brought Paul with me and I had no plan. But all I did was just switch drinking beer because I couldn't carry enough on the bicycle, scotch. And then I, of course, I have some other substances. So the thing is, is it was a complete failure. So uh, that was one attempt to stop drinking. And uh, other times, you know, my wife would say, I'm gonna, uh, I just can't stand it. I, you know, I love you, but I don't like your, your behavior when you drink. And you really have to do something about it. One, it would take you to a rehab. And then I would promise and promise and promise that I would never drink again. And of course, that never worked. In fact, the day that I got into AA, it was a Sunday. And she said to me, oh, we're going. You're going right now. And I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> Drank everything in the house. And the next day, I really attempted to, to do something. And I 
finally, two days later, I did end up in AA. After calling the 800 number, I, I uh, went to my first meeting. And what was that like when you went to your first meeting? <laughs> well, my first impression, it was a church a mile and a half from my house. So I go to this, go down there all by myself and knew nothing about AA. All these people, like there, there were all these people all over the place at this church. And I thought, this can't be an AA meeting. There can't be that many drunks this close to my house. There just can't be. And of course, it turned out to be an AA meeting. And there must have been 100 people there. I, I was flabbergasted. And you know how they ask, has anybody ever been to an this first time you're in an AA meeting? And I said, I raised my hand. And thank goodness I did. And they split the meeting into two groups. It was uh, step one, two, three, and the other one was the rest of them. And of course, I was the beginners. And I, the vocabulary was just, I didn't understand. You know, they talked about sponsors and big book and all this other stuff. So some guy came up to me at the end of the meeting and, you know, welcomed me. And he said, uh, do you have a meeting book? And I said, no, and I know what one was. So he gave me a uh, meeting book. And uh, I, for the next six nights, I went to meetings by myself all over, you know, uh, the Flemington area. And the sixth night, I said to some guys, it was an anniversary meeting. And I said, I don't know how you do this. I I, I can't do it. I can't stay drunk. I haven't been had a drink in six days, but this isn't going to last. That's when it finally happened. When you ask somebody, I just couldn't believe that they just give themselves, you know, just freely. You know, now I understand, but at that point, I thought, no. So in essence, I was scared to death, but you know what? You just get through it. And if, if you have a lot of fear, we're here to help. People mm-hmm. who are in AA want you to have the sobriety that they have. You know, they know how good it is and they mm-hmm. want to share. That's so nice. I love that. That's one of the beautiful things about AA is we genuinely do want people to get this thing. And I think it's so counter to what we grow up being like, you know, we're so selfish. Usually we don't really care about anybody else, but here we are a bunch of alcoholics kind of going out of our way to help people get sober. And what was that early process like for you? Did you get a sponsor right away? Did you start working the steps right away? Uh, no, I didn't. I, um, I, I got a sponsor in about, uh, I would say about three months, I guess I got a sponsor. The problem is I came in as an atheist and I, the God's thing was not not my thing. And uh, I was going to go by the first step, and you guys could have the other eleven. First step made the most sense to me. You know, it was, it was that was it. I was I was out of control, and, and the whole nine yards. The other eleven uh, you could have. And unfortunately, it took me four to five years of being a dry drunk. I didn't want to drink, but I didn't really embrace the program. Finally, I said to my sponsor, I said, you know, I, if I don't, I said, I'm going to drink. I said, I'm as miserable now as I used to be, and I don't have any alcohol to buffer it. And he said the amazing thing to me. He said, well, you know, you could try the program. It might work. <laughs> I said, yeah, all right, let me try the program. And to make a long story short, it, it, I started to do the steps. I went to counseling, and that was the beginning. So I don't suggest anybody take that path. I highly recommend that you start the steps as soon as possible. They are the answer. They are the framework of everything that I do. There is no question about that. That is the way to go. You know, it's just opened up unbelievable world for me. Just unbelievable stuff. I am just a Mr. Enthusiastic about about the program. I am. I love that. 
I love that. I heard in a meeting once that the definition of insanity is going to a 12-step program and not actually doing the 12 steps. <laughs> I love that. Um, I'm an example. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like as an atheist working the steps? Because we have a lot of people that come into the program and, you know, have an issue with the God thing. So what was that process like for you? Well, the, the, the problem, the, the thing with the God thing was I had to deal with the steps in terms of of my own interpretation. And but the bottom line that came to me was that if I am so darn smart, why am I so miserable? And why do I think I know all the answers? Because obviously I don't. Because if I did, A, I wouldn't be an AA, and B, I'd be happy, joyous, and free. So and it, this brilliant <laughs> message came to me from somewhere that, hey, you are not the answer. And that that is the key to me. Whatever I did now define to be a higher power, I'm very spiritual, spiritually connected to a source energy. And the thing is, is that once I realize that I don't know the answers and I can't solve the problem myself, I've got to listen to people in AA. I've got to listen to messages I get from this source power. I have to go to therapy. I have to go to uh, the kinds of retreats. Whatever I have to do to stay sober, I am going to do. And that was the eye opener. There's no question about it. As once I realized I don't know the answer. And unfortunately, some people think they know the answer and stay with their own program, you know, which is usually not working well. Talk to me a little bit about the source energy. How does it show up for you? And- oh, man. <laughs> I, <laughs> I went to a, uh, a retreat, but, which was not AA. It was a Native American kind of thing. Mankind Project is what it's called. They called in the energies from the universe and in one of their ceremonies, and it just clicked. That's it. That's it. It's the energy that is out there. And being an alcoholic, you know, I have tendencies to overdo everything. And I got into meditation and I got into all the spirituality and I became a Shigong teacher. I don't know whether you're familiar with Shigong, mm-hmm. Shigong and meditation. I'm a certified teacher. And it just puts me in the right place. Every morning I do Shigong for 45 minutes and meditate. And it gets me to a place that is so unbelievable that I am so calm. I am so serene. I'm so peaceful. And that's where I've always wanted to be when I was chasing, chasing it with the drink and, the, and, and other stuff. So the thing is, I, what I find is the irony of the whole thing is that I am able to get there without any substance in me except water. I mean, come on. And if anybody had told me that 25 years ago, I said, you're crazy. That's not going to work. I love it. I love that this program allows for anything that resonates to be our source of uh, energy, our source of healing and that higher power that we're seeking. And then you also said something that I really resonate with, which is every you, you have found what you were chasing for so many years and you're not putting a, a substance or uh, of any kind into your body. I think that's a beautiful thing. And on, if only we had known. <laughs> yes. The other thing the story I should say, uh, just mention is that on my 60th birthday, <clears throat> my sponsor and I and a whole bunch of other guys and my therapist climbed Mount Princeton in Colorado. Um, I, when I got to the top, I was higher than I've ever been in my life in terms of, of spirituality and physically. And you know what? I, again, it was like, this can't 
you can't reach this kind of stuff without without some kind of assistance. All the assistance I had was just being me, being with my friends, and being you know in nature and not and being sober. I mean, unbelievable. Mm. And people just realize, you know, I, people I sponsor, I, we get to the point where we do shigong and meditation and stuff and do the steps. It's like, we don't need the extra stuff. We get where we want to go when we were chasing it. And here it is right here inside. Us. I mean, what more do we want? I'm curious about your marriage. If, if it's okay, if we go here for a minute, sure. you, you were married, you said for 25 years before you got sober. And right about that and now it's been another 25 years or so um since you got sober how has that been does your wife go to al-anon or has she practiced any kind of recovery how has that worked for you it was interesting is when i finally got my rear end here into aa she said when i came back from my first meeting i said well they say i can't i uh, it's only one day at a time and that means i'm never going to be able to drink again and and she said well if you want, I will stop drinking. And she's not an alcoholic. I mean, she has one drink. You know, that's it. And she doesn't need it. You know, she said it, you know, which I completely don't understand. But that's beside the point. So I said, no. I said, I said, you don't have to do that. I said, I am the one who has the problem. You can still have a drink, but I will never, I hope I never have another one. So that was the first thing. But I think it was this amends letter that I mentioned that, that opened things up for real dialogue. I mean, we've always been connected, but the thing is, we are really, you know, we're really, we understand each other. And it's like, and we, it's, it's unbelievable. The, the, the difference is, is just something that just can't be, be accomplished if you're still trying to be controlling. And when I look back on it in my first 25 years, I was, I was pretty controlling. I mean, I tried to be, you know, fix, fix everything that's wrong with her. Nothing, nothing's wrong with me. You know, you've heard this many times. Now I know it's the other way around, you know, Hey, the serenity prayer, uh, I call it serenity guidelines. It's like, you know, I say that and it's like, let it go, let it go, let it go. You know, you want to be happy. You want to be right. I mean, it's, thing is just and in the big picture of things this little crap that happens that we go through every single day i mean little things that happen it's like you know what in the big picture of things it doesn't amount to much it just doesn't it's 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 the connection that you have and i have found that it's just not a connection with my wife but it's a connection with other people i've always tried to have these walls around me and there might be just a little bit of a brick wall now low but all the other walls are gone. I, I talk to my people that I sponsor about masks that we wear. And, you know, I want to know, I don't want to know what you think I want to know. I want to know who you are. And that's the way I'm going to relate to you. And I want to see you without any masks on. I want to see who you are, the true person. And I think my wife and I have that. And I have that on with a lot of the guys that I sponsor as well. You know, this program is just fantastic. It's such a healing process when we can be fully authentic, when I can be who I am with you as my friend, that's real and authentic. And that's where healing happens. And I think that's part of the process. And how would you feel the steps show up in this sort of in your day-to-day relationships? How, how, are you are you using the steps as a tool in your day-to-day relationships? I, I think the uh, 10, 11, and 12 are really worth that for me. I, I analyze what did I do right and what did I do wrong, you know, the step 10 kind of thing. 
Step 11, I, I definitely do because I mentioned, you know, I do the meditation in Qigong every single day. I teach it on top of that two days a week. And, you know, and 12, I always try to go up to, at a meeting. I always try to go up to a newcomer and say, you know, it's going to be okay. Keep coming. And eventually things will just be, just be great. So as far as the steps go, going through the steps is a very cleansing kind of thing. Fourth step was, was a real problem for me. But, uh, you know, and most people have trouble with the fourth step. But once you do the fourth step and the fifth step, you know, things, things start to move along. As I mentioned, the amends thing was, was a bit of a problem for me with my wife. But, you know, in the, in the long run, it's like I, for the steps to be an important part of your life, the action steps to me beyond the, the first part is the 10, 11, 12. I mean, that is key. You need to, I need to do that every day. Mm-hmm. Well, it says in the, in the daily reflection that the spiritual life is not yeah. a theory. Mm-hmm. We have to live it. And, and I guess that's really living through a daily reprieve based on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And I hear you saying that with your daily practices that you participate in. And also I hear a lot of service in what you're saying too. So what is your service life like today? The thing is, I used to be a booker for our speaker meeting, my first home group. So that would entail a lot of service. And then we used to go out and speak, obviously. And now uh, I have started a, uh, a meeting here. I, I live on a farm here in New Jersey. And we, we have a uh, men's meditation and promises meeting every Sunday. We meditate for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then we read this promises and we choose one of the promises. Now we have a bonfire. We even meet when it's like five degrees. It's like crazy stuff. But hey, we have a great time. And the other uh, service that I do is I started, how I met this person who recommended me for the program, uh, Cece, is I um, I winter in Florida. I have a rough life. I winter in Florida for four months and live in New Jersey the other eight. So anyway, I made a lot of uh, AA connections in Florida as well. When this happened, when 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 the, when the pandemic happened, I uh, my my home group in Flemington stopped meeting, and of course I wasn't there. I was still I was in Florida. But the thing is, is I thought, well, why not just start a Zoom meeting? I mean, I used to do webinars on uh, Zoom before they were really popular. Anyway, I started a Zoom meeting every single day, every Monday, every day at seven a.m. We have a reflections meeting, a daily reflections meeting. So with my connections in Florida, this is very interesting. With my connections in Florida, my connections in Flemington, it has become a bi-state, solid group of, of people from Florida, a solid group of people from Flemington that never have met in person, and they have exchanged phone numbers, they talk back and forth. That's a service that you're like, wow, this is what happens. And then I, I help people with the Zoom so that they, I don't lead the meetings anymore. I don't bother at all. They all have taken over. They all, you know, we teach people how to use Zoom and lead the meetings. It's like seeing a child grow up. It's fantastic. I enjoy going to the meetings. It's every day is, is a little bit of a grind, but we have the other people taking taking over as well. That's so that's, great, that's great. basically, I miss going out and speaking and that kind of thing, but with this pandemic thing, just about closing now, things might look a little brighter. Well, you're clearly speaking here and you're going to be helping a lot of people. And and I also heard you say that you do a lot of sponsorship. You work with, with guys in the program. So that's awesome. As we begin to wrap up, we ask this question all the time, but we have people that listen that are either brand new 
or maybe just trying to decide if this is where they need to be or not. And I wonder if you would share with, with our audience, just what your advice would be for somebody who's, who's just starting out. My sponsor used to say, meeting makers make it. I thought, oh, yeah, right. I had skepticism and I was belligerent, but I was so desperate that I kept coming. And my, my advice to anyone is keep coming to meetings, you know, and, and no matter how skeptical you are, and it, I came in as an atheist, so it was very difficult. But the thing is that eventually you're going to find that the physical, uh, the physical attachment is, is, goes away. And the mental stuff, of course, is much difficult to deal with. But if you keep coming and you listen and you listen to people who make sense to you, then those are the people you want to contact and stay with. I always say that I, and this ties in with the reading, is that I'm a person who really goes with, don't talk the talk, walk the walk. I always say to people that I sponsor and other people, you know, when I, you can be, you can sound like you are God's gift to AA in a meeting. I want to see, I want to go to your house and live there for a day or two and then really find out, you know, walk the walk. Don't just talk the talk. So that's what you really want to hear when you're, in, when you're new. You want to just listen to people and see if you think that they're really, and watch them outside. You know, and listen to what they say outside the meeting as well. And if they're completely the opposite, you know, maybe better connect to somebody else. Uh, that's my advice. I don't know if it's good, bad, or different, but that's for that. I think it's great advice. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I can see why Cece was like, you must call Paul right away and get him on. Thank you so much for stepping up and doing this with me. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be asked, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. So thank you very much. For, and thank you for doing this. This is fantastic. Thank you. It's an honor for me as well. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash daily reflection podcast. You can find us on Twitter at daily reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.